Zillennials podcast. Today on Zillennials, we're going to be talking about screen addiction. But before we start off with screen addiction, um, we thought we'd do something a little bit different and kind of just do a weekly check-in, see how each other is doing. So Leanne, how's your week been so far? You know, it hasn't been bad. Is that window open? Let me shut that window. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that motorcycle was way too loud. I vote that we leave that in. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to roast, but it's all for the podcast. (laughs) All for the podcast. I think I would say that my week was pretty average. You know, like nothing super exciting happened, but also nothing bad happened. Um, I feel like for me personally, at this time, it's kind of just more about uh, getting to the 4th of July long weekend. (laughs) Yeah, because doesn't your temp job end like somewhere around there? Yeah, I have July 5th off. And then I think July 9th is my last day. Ooh, so exciting. This is like nothing against the job. It's just more like I'm just a little tired. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I definitely understand that feeling. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like the weekend just isn't long enough. And it's like a lot of my weekend is spent on what I like to call like life admin, which is like doing laundry, doing errands that I've put off organizing the pile of stuff that's accumulated over the week. I feel like maybe half a day or a day is really all I have for peer relaxing on the weekend. How about you? I would totally agree with that. I really like the way that you put that as like uh, life admin. I've never heard it phrased that way, but I am totally about to use that. My week? Um, I've been keeping busy this summer, but this past week, I've been able to take a little break. I've been on a slight vacation. The week that we've been on vacation here has been really nice. I've really enjoyed it. I've got to see a lot of my family, which is awesome because we like rented a pretty large place and had people coming in. So I got to see a couple of my family members and it's been it's been pretty nice. I like the, uh, the amount of nature that you've been around too. It just seems relaxing. Oh my gosh. So... In terms of nature, Leon and I also recorded another podcast while I was here. And so the background behind me was all of these trees and like deers roaming in the distance. It was fantastic. While I've been here, we've been playing a lot of games and we've been staying off our screens quite a bit. So it's been really nice to kind of take a break from the screens and just relax. But moving on to our topic for today, we're going to be talking about the exact opposite. We're going to be talking about screen addiction. So what do you think qualifies as a screen addiction, Leanne? I think it's a screen addiction if you're using it in settings where you really shouldn't be. Like, for example, when I think about my screen usage, like let's say if it's for work or for school or something, I that obviously counts in terms of like eye strain and stuff as screen usage. But to me, it doesn't count towards screen addiction just because I don't have much say in it. Like, I have to use a computer for work. Like I can't do my job without it. Um, So I think it's more addicting if let's say you're out with your friends or out with family and it's like you should be spending the time with them, but then you're constantly pulling out your phone. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think if you're taking out your phone in like a setting that is kind of more so like on your own time that can qualify as screen addiction or alternatively, like if you are supposed to be doing something else at work, 
and you're taking out your phone and you're like, you know, on your phone, unless you have a break or something, I think that that also would kind of be lumped into that category. And obviously, like, it depends on how much you do it. Like, if you're like, oh, I need to send like a quick text to my parents. I feel like that's not a big deal. You take out your phone, you send the text, you put it away and you don't think about it for a couple of hours, you know? But I think that like, if you always have to have your phone on your desk, or if you're like making personal calls during work time, when it's not like a break time, I think that that's kind of where it kind of leans into that category of screen addiction. And I think that you can also be addicted to your screen by spending too much time on it, even outside of work and outside of those other activities where you're not supposed to be on it at all. Like, for example, if you're spending like 10 hours a day on your screen outside of work, like, I'd be pretty concerned, to be honest. I think it's hard, too, because so much of life has transitioned to involve screens because I feel like our work days involve screens. And then a lot of the things that people do for fun also involve screens. And so I think something that I've been trying to be more conscious of is because I go to work and then so that's like seven something hours looking at a screen and then I come home and then whether it's just, you know, watching YouTube or Netflix or even like sometimes when I do the podcast editing, it's like I try to give a break between work and doing whatever the other thing is because it's just like I feel like my eyes just feel it after a while. Yeah. Personally, I haven't really noticed that my eyes feel it after a while, but like I do think that it's good to like try to give yourself that break and to try to think about things that you can do that aren't necessarily going to require your attention on a screen. So like for example, instead of going home and watching Netflix right away, maybe you listen to a podcast or maybe like you turn on YouTube but you flip your phone over and you're just listening to it. Like I know that I have some people on YouTube where it's like I literally don't even watch their face. I just flip over the screen. I'm just like I just want to listen to what you're saying but I don't necessarily need to be watching you, you know? I think that makes sense. I think there's a certain type of video on YouTube that almost feels more podcasty and I feel like those are kind of good because then you don't actually have to look at it. Yeah. For example, if I'm listening to like a true crime thing on YouTube, I'm just here to like become more informed and hear the story of that person. I don't necessarily want to see all these graphic pictures that look kind of scary, you know? And so I'll just flip it over and just listen to it as if it was like a podcast. I think that that's like a good example of a way that you could do that. And I think another good way is like finding a hobby that's not necessarily attached to a screen. So what are some hobbies that you have that are not necessarily like attached to a screen? I think one of the biggest one I have is reading because honestly, I do prefer physical books. Although more recently, I have been using my Kindle more just because it's easier to get library books that way because I know that your library is a little more robust than mine, but mine often doesn't have the books that I want to read available in their location. And I feel like the hassle of requesting it from somewhere else, then waiting and then having to make a special trip to go pick it up. It's so much easier to just use my Kindle, but I do try to read like physical books or I know my mom gets a New Yorker magazine subscription, so I like taking those and reading them, but it's just nice to take a break to just not look at screen. I definitely agree with you on that. I think that in terms of reading books, so when we first started doing our book clubs, I would get a lot of them online on my iPad so I could just like read them on there. and. Honestly, like the last couple of books, I've really tried to go and find a physical copy 
because I realize that I'm so much more inclined to stay on task when reading the book if it's not on my iPad or not on a screen. And so I'd much rather have that and also give my eyes the break than have it on a screen. Plus, I feel like, I don't know, it's just there's something different about holding that physical book compared to like having an ebook. Like, I feel like I don't absorb the story as well if it's via ebook. For me, I think my issue isn't so much absorbing the story. I just like real books more for like the tactile, like the weight of it and like flipping the pages. I think I can do pretty well, um, mainly probably for the podcast, because after I read a chapter, I try to take like notes, mainly just summary notes on the chapter, um, just so I can remember, because sometimes we record it like a week or so or whenever after I finish the book. So I want to make sure I remember what happened. But I do think that the library is kind of the way to go only because I don't know about you, but I tend not to reread books that often. And so I used to just buy them all the time. But then it's like I have this giant stack of books that there's a like a 90% chance I won't read again. But then also I don't give away. So I think whether it's an ebook or a physical book, getting it from the library is kind of nice because then you know when you're done, it's not going to clutter up your room. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think that that's something that I've realized more and more as I got older, because when I was younger, I feel like I would ask for books all the time for like Christmas or like my birthday. Like that would be like what I wanted for my birthday or for Christmas was like, just give me books. Like I just want to read books. But I think like as I've gotten older, I'm like, you know, I have stuff that needs a place. And I'm like, and I don't necessarily reread books all that often. Like if it's a really good book, maybe I'll read it a couple of times. But I feel like I don't reread them that often. Plus, also, there's so many new books that come out. And I'm just like, I want to read all of them. And so it's like such a struggle because you're like, will I really go back and reread this one? Or will I say, oh, there's that new one that I've been wanting to read. I'm going to go read it. So I think libraries are definitely the way to go if you're able to. Yeah, I think in terms of another hobby, too, is. I mean, I do have some brush pens. So I was like, I can do my hand lettering and stuff, but also I think with like the podcast and stuff is like using Procreate more, which I love because it's like I have like all these different pens and I have all the colors in the world that I want and it takes up so much less space, which I really like. But I think the downside of that is like if I want to go do it, it's still looking at a screen. Yeah. And that's something that I've noticed too is like, With Procreate, it is a lot of like staring at a screen. And then because I'm me, what I'll do is I'll like watch a Netflix show while I'm working on like the drawing because it'll like go into the corner of my iPad. I'm like, oh, that's so convenient. So then I'll just like watch it while I'm doing that. But I won't really watch it. I'll more so just listen to it while I'm drawing and like occasionally glance over if something important happens. But I think you and I personally are more on the side of like millennials with how we treat our screen time. Whereas I think Gen Z treats it a little bit differently. And I think part of that is, you know, just being kids and having a little bit of difficulty with regulating screen time. And then I look at like how I treat screen time compared to like my parents' generation. And again, it's totally different. So I think it could also be a little bit of a generational thing with how we treat our screen time. What I think is interesting about that is pretty much all of our like conscious life that we have memories of, we've had screens, but we were born before not before computers, but before they became like so mainstreamed and definitely before anything like an iPhone or an iPad. So I think maybe some of it translates from when we were younger. 
I don't know about you, but I wasn't raised on much screen time. Like I know when I was really young, my mom would really try to limit it. And we were also out a lot, like doing like activities, music classes, that kind of thing. So I really didn't watch that much. I mean, I think, you know, when I was little through like preschool, maybe occasionally I'd watch like Sesame Street or something. But we were usually out doing stuff. And so I don't know. I was like, I wonder if that kind of affects you later. You know what I mean? Like how much you used it when you were little, like whether that makes you use it more when you're later or the opposite. I don't know. I think that that's really interesting because for my family, I think my mom put like an hour or two limit on screen time a day. She'd be like, all right, an hour or two. And then like, that's enough. We turn it off. That includes like TV, playing video games, playing computer games. All of that is all encompassed in that. And so she would limit it. And I remember like as a kid, it was like frustrating to me. I was like, why does she always like limit our screen time? But now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, I could see why. Like, you know what I mean? And so I'm like, thank goodness she did that. You know, I do know of a couple of people who never had caps on their screen time. And I look at them and it's interesting because some of them have really like taken no interest in screens just or like very little just because they're kind of like, you know, I had it all the time as a kid and it was just it was just there. Whereas others are like they really like their screen time. And so I think it's just interesting because those people who didn't have caps on it it's kind of like everybody has kind of decided their own route. It's not necessarily that they're all leaning one way. But the weirdest thing that I thought, oh, this is like, this is a hot take. I think that it's weird when people leave the TV on to go to sleep. Yeah. I mean, I don't do it. I don't think I'm as like impassioned about it as you are. But I do know, which I kind of agree with, because it's another one of those things when you're little, you're like, I don't get it. Like, why can't I have a TV in my bedroom? But now I'm just like, it's so true. And I think there's been articles about it, which you should Google yourself because I don't actually, I'm not actually referencing a specific one, but I know in the past that I've read articles saying that like, if you have a TV in your bedroom, it actually reduces the amount of average sleep a person gets a night because I could totally get that too, because it's like, if you're lying in bed and your TV's right there, it's so easy to just put it on. But let's say if you're out in the living room, you're like, oh, like I have to go get ready for bed. Like you have to go somewhere else versus just leaving it on. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when like a new show comes on or something, you get sucked in and then you end up watching the whole episode and you stay up way later than you were planning. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. I look at it and I'm just like, I feel like for having a TV in your room, they say that, you know, having screen time, like I think it's like an hour or so before bed. I'll try to find an article to support this. But I know like if you have screen time, like right before you go to bed, it messes up your circadian rhythm, which essentially is how your brain signals like, okay, it's time to go to sleep because you're having light into your eyes so late at night. And so it messes up your sleep schedule. Like it messes up how your body deals with sleep. And so I'm like, I just don't understand why people have TVs in their room. Like, why would you do that? Like, it's supposed to be that time to kind of unwind, decompress, And like, I get that some people do that with TV, but I just don't think that that's right. I think that you can find a different way to do that, whether it's reading or drawing. Like, I think that you should have a different way to do that before you go to sleep that doesn't require a screen. Yeah. Like, I think if let's say you just came back from work or something and you want to decompress and you watch like an episode of something, that's fine. But I think like you were saying is I've read similar things and something I've been trying to do is I've been failing recently, but not so much with TV. It's more with my phone. But like, to just not use it while in bed. 
Because it's the same thing where you're like, oh, I'll just check this one thing. It'll be like 10 minutes max and then I'm done. And then the next thing you know, it's half hour, 45 minutes later and you're like, well, I should have been asleep. So it's like not only is there like the delay in you being able to go to sleep because of using the screen, there's also that extra half hour that you weren't even like trying to go to sleep. Yeah. And I feel like that's really damaging to your health too. And so I think it's really good to, you know, just kind of say, all right, we're switching off the electronics. We're not going to use them. It's time to go to sleep now and kind of have like a, a time at which that ends. One of the things that my parents actually did when we were younger is they would have a phone check-in for the night. Ooh. So at 9 p.m., they would take our phones and they would stack them up by our home phone and they would leave them downstairs. And it was like, you could not touch your phone until the morning. And I'm like, that was so smart. I don't know how they thought of it initially, but I was like, that's so smart because then it makes sure that you're not doing anything inappropriate on your phone. It makes sure that you're not using it late into the night. There's a lot of different benefits to that. Okay, two things. One, I need somebody to do that for me now. Like, that would be great. And two, did they monitor it to make sure like no one snuck down and took it? Yeah, like occasionally if they saw that like one of the phones was gone, they'd be like, I saw that you snuck it out last night. And then they would like take it and like have it by their bedside all night. Oh, yeah. I like it, though, because I feel like without the follow through, nothing happens. Or I think they might have like taken it away for a day or two if like you went to go get it. And as kids, they were like, you know, if we ask for you to hand over your phone and let us look through it at any time, you have to say, OK. They were like, it's part of having a phone. And so we were like, OK. And so that was kind of something that they enforced was if we want to go through your messages. If we want to go through whatever, we should be able to do it because you shouldn't have anything that you want to hide on there. Like, you know what I mean? Hmm. Interesting. And I think they did it maybe like once or twice. I don't remember them doing it that often, but like, yeah. And I think that's kind of like one of those more gray areas where some people could see that as like an invasion of privacy or like you don't trust your kids. But I think my parents more so looked at it as like a, no, this is a precaution to make sure that they're not doing anything inappropriate. I think that's interesting. I feel like that could be a hot debate in itself. Should parents be allowed to do that? Um, I think, I mean, my mom never did that, but I think personally, it depends on how old the kid is. If your kid's like, let's say like 19 home from college, I feel like that's totally different than if it's like they're 13 and it's their first phone. Yeah, because it was when we were like in middle school primarily. So like it was when we were pretty young. I think they maybe stopped after like sophomore year in high school. Like I don't remember them really touching our phones that much in high school. I mean, they maybe did it once. I don't remember them doing it very much because I think, you know, once you get into like high school, that's kind of when you're like, I want to be more independent and I don't want you always hovering over me. And like, that's kind of your mentality as like a teenager. And so I think that that's why they kind of backed off because they were like pick and choose your battles and that's not one that we want to fight i think also is like once you become like in high school um just in general in high school but i feel like especially like once you become like junior senior stuff like that it's like you start wanting your kind of like your own life and it's like i feel like even if you're close with your parents like it's like you want to tell them what you want to tell them when you're ready to tell them and so i think at that point like it does kind of become more I think it becomes instead of being like a protection thing, like if you're checking your kid's phone, then it kind of becomes more of an invasion of privacy. But then I think it's also circumstantial, too, because there could be certain situations where like, no, you really do need to do that. So like, I don't want to put a blanket statement down. Yeah, it's really hard to say like one way or another, because it's like, okay, like on one hand, it's like 
you want to show your kids that you trust them. But on the other hand, you want to make sure that they're being safe. So it's like, you know, just something to keep in mind. I have a question. Yes. Would you do that? I mean, I know you said like you may or may not want to have kids, but if you had kids, would you, is that something you would do with them? Probably in middle school, just because I know that like kids in middle school can be like kind of nasty. So especially if they had social media, just to make sure that they weren't getting like cyberbullied or something, I would probably do it then. If they were in high school, I think I would kind of back off a little bit. Yeah. If they were like on their phone, there was clearly something they didn't want me to see. I'd be like, what are you doing kind of thing. But I don't think I would go and like search through their phone at that time because it's like, for example, like this is what like I would worry about if I were a parent. Like what if your kid is flirting with their crush and then they're all embarrassed because you went and saw like these like messages where they're like trying to flirt. Like, you know what I mean? Like that would be so embarrassing. Like as a teenager, I would have died of embarrassment. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is something that'd be interesting to revisit once there are actual like real children involved, because I think it's one thing to talk about what you would do hypothetically and another thing like what actually happens. But I agree with you where it's like my main concern would probably be with like bullying or like, you know, like when kids are little and they're like, oh, like, let's go on this website and talk to like random person. Yeah. But it's like, I do agree with you. What you're saying is like once like they kind of start wanting to flirt or like date or something. I feel like it's like you like I think you should obviously like lay down the ground rules and be like, you know, if you're dating, like this is what's okay or not okay and that kind of thing. But like, I don't think you need to like go through their messages. Yeah. And I think too, like, and on the other hand, I'm like, I could see parents being like, well, I want to make sure they're not sending inappropriate pictures. But I'm like, I don't know. I just feel like, I don't know. Like, it's just such a gray area. Cause I'm like, on one hand, you're like, yes, I would like to be sure to talk to my kid about it if they were. But on the other hand, it's like, I don't want to see that. You know what I mean? I don't know. <laughs> I was thinking that too. It was like, where it's like, yeah, y- you want to make sure they're, they're not doing that. Cause that can cause a whole bunch of problems. But then it's also it's like, do you really want to see your kids nude? No, really no. But like, I think that part of it too is like, you need to raise them to like, know that that's something that's not appropriate. And like, especially, especially when they're kids, just because it's like, there are so many creepy people out there. It's just like, you got to be really, really careful. And so I think just like emphasizing that to them being like, there are a lot of really creepy people out there who will try to take advantage of you. Like, do not be sending like compromising photos of yourself because that will just, it puts you in danger. And I think that like just emphasizing that instead of like going and checking through their messages, I feel like that's the better way to do it because it's like, if you raise your kid right, you should be able to trust them to not do that. I think like you're saying, I think it's better to kind of guide them to not want to do that in general, just through your other conversations rather than just going through their phones. Because I think especially with teenagers, like I feel like if someone just goes through their phone, they're not going to learn anything from that. They're just going to get like angry with you. Yeah, I feel like that's exactly it. Yeah. So I think like by my parents, like occasionally going through our phone in middle school there was always like that like distant fear you know like don't send anything inappropriate because your parents could see it so I think you know nowadays I try to be pretty cautious with what I send because it's just like you never know who has access to your phone especially with like so much being saved to the cloud 
And it's like, also, you just want to be careful, like what you're sending out in general. You never know what that other person's going to do with that information. Yeah, like not even like nudes related. Like even if you were like, let's say like talking about someone or something is like, you never know if that other person's going to like take a screenshot and then send it to them. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of like why you just have to be careful. So one thing that I really wanted to make sure that we talked about, because this kind of circles back to the generational thing. So one thing that I wanted to make sure that we talked about is iPad babies, a hot topic of debate. (laughs) So for those of you who might not know, Leanne, do you want to tell us a little bit about like what are iPad babies? I didn't actually like read an official definition, but I feel like iPad babies are, they could range anywhere. I feel like they're anywhere from like actual babies to like toddlers who are using screens, in my opinion, way too much. Or even like when the parents bring them somewhere, they use the screen or the iPad as a means of keeping the kid occupied. So say like at a restaurant or on the bus. And see, I don't like this because it just seems way too young to be doing this, first of all. And second of all, I'm pretty sure that you're not really supposed to have your kids on screens before, I think, before they're two or something like that. And so it's just kind of like, what are you doing? And I think there are alternatives that you can use, but a lot of the alternatives involve like parent active involvement. Like, for example, for me, like a lot of times when I was on the bus, my mom would read to me, but that meant she had to like actively, you know, hold the book, flip the pages, read. Whereas if I was born now and I was an iPad baby, she could just hand me the iPad and then just do whatever. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of uh, why we see more iPad babies nowadays is because it's like people lead very busy lives. And I feel like you're always kind of expected to be on or like, If you get a work email, like you're expected to respond, like even if you're off a lot of times. And so I think that that's kind of why we see a lot of people having babies and then giving them the iPad is because it's like, I have something that I need to get accomplished, but it can be really detrimental to them. So like I was reading an article and it was essentially saying that like, if you expose kids to more screen time, they have less expressive language development. So if you do even 30 minutes a day, and this is like, I believe it was in groups of pretty much like two-year-olds and less. It might have been a little bit younger than two, but like generally about the age of two and less. 30 minutes a day can lead to a 49% risk, like increase uh, losing expressive language or like having a delay in expressive language. And I thought that was crazy because that's such a high percentage. I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah, that's that's pretty intense. I mean, I know there's kind of these things where people who have kids like make fun of people who don't have kids because someone who doesn't have kids will say, oh, I'll never let my kid do this. And then they have a kid and then they find themselves doing it. But I really can't see myself getting behind this. Yeah, me either. I think like just generally trying to as much as possible like have something else for your kid to do, even if it's just like make-believe. Like even make-believe is still like a good thing to do, which I know like kids two years old and younger. I mean, like, will they really do make-believe? No, they're probably just learning how to talk. But still, you know, I think that not exposing them to that is probably better for them. And I think this study that I had looked at was specifically like handheld. So that would be like iPad, phone, etc. Um, rather than TV-based, but I would assume that it's probably not great to expose them to a ton of TV as well. 
Yeah, I know sometimes people refer to the TV as like the babysitter. Because let's say it's like you were saying, like you have to get something done for work or like, let's say you really needed to clean the kitchen. Kids get so focused when they watch TV. You know what I mean? It's like laser vision. And so it's like, you know, if you plop your kid down in front of it, they're not going anywhere and they'll stay occupied. So I can see why it's like tempting or like why you would want to do it every now and then. I think my big thing is more like under two, especially, you know, like I feel like if your kid's like in preschool and let's say you're making dinner and they want to watch like when I was in elementary school, like when my mom was making dinner, I'd watch Cyber Chase or Arthur or something on PBS. Like, I think that's fine. But it's like when they're really little, like, I don't know, give them some blocks or something. Yeah, I I don't know. I just look at it and I think like there are other activities because little, little kids like baby to two years old, I feel like they're kind of fascinated by everything. You could set a toilet paper roll in front of them and they'd be like, oh my gosh, this is the most fascinating thing I've ever seen. I think that you don't necessarily need to be setting an iPad in front of them in order to entertain them. And I look at like the way that my parents handled it, like when we were kids, and these are primarily examples like from when I was older, just because obviously like my memory, I don't remember back to when I was like two years old. But I know like when we went to restaurants, my mom would bring dice and she would roll dice and have us do addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division with those dice. I kid you not. So she would do that. Uh, Sometimes we would color. Sometimes she would have like other more like educational games like we would do. I think we had like this one game. It's like, I want to say it's called Tanagrams where it's like you would uh, like have this blacked out shape and you would have to figure out where the shapes go in order to like make that shape. So we would do that a lot. And then there was also like some optical illusion thing that she brought that we would try to do as well. I remember Tanagrams. Those were so cool. I had a set and it's like, you know, trying to make the bunny rabbit or the hot air balloon or whatever. That was fun. I hated it as a kid. (laughs) Not even going to lie. I was like, this is so frustrating. Why can't I get it? And even now, sometimes I'll get frustrated because like we were just playing it this weekend. I mean, okay, the frustration is real. Like, I think I pretty much only ever did the ones that were marked easy. But I think that kind of goes back to the thing where it involves more active thinking on like her part. She had to think to bring it to make sure you had it to like You know, that thing where it's like, I think, especially these days, everyone has a phone on them almost all the time. And so like, she wouldn't have to think like, oh, like I have to remember to grab the tenograms or remember to grab the dice or whatever. Yeah, definitely. And I think that that's like a big thing. Um, Another thing that we did is we had like a leapfrog learner pad and we would like tap the letters and then it would like read them to us. Did you have that too? No, I always wanted one of those. They looked so cool. I feel like honestly, they were our generation's version of like the iPad, you know what I mean? Where it's like the cool thing that you wanted because it seemed so like technologically advanced because you tapped it and it read stuff. Like I thought it was so cool. Yeah, those were pretty cool. I really liked that. Um, I'm trying to think of what else we did. I don't know. What else did you do? Or what did uh, your mom do? Well, when like I was saying, is like when I was really little, she did a lot of reading to me. And then I think once I got older, like I bring my own book sometimes and then just read when we were waiting. And I think, you know, elementary age and stuff, I would do the, you know, when you get like the kids stuff and they give you the little activity book. Yeah. I would always do that. Fun fact, I hated ordering off the kids menu. Like I almost always refused to do it. Wow. 
Yeah, I was just not into the kid food thing. Like, I'm just like, no, I want to order off the real menu. But I did take advantage of the activity books. Yeah, that's awesome. Also, like when we would go on road trips and stuff, what we did is we had like this calendar of Sudoku that ranged from like very easy to very difficult. So my older brother and I, we would pick one that was the same level. And when we were on a road trip, we would race each other to see who could finish their Sudoku first. Who uh, won the most? I don't know. I would say it was pretty even. Like sometimes he would win. Sometimes I would win. I think my youngest brother maybe participated sometimes, but my older brother and I are like so much closer in age that I think it was primarily between us two. I remember from my trips because we would go on vacation with my aunts a lot. And what would happen is before the trip, my mom and I would go to the library and I would pick out a book on tape and then would listen to it throughout the trip. Oh, that's nice. And then I think maybe sometimes I might have brought like a Game Boy or something, but I don't think I used it that much, like in the car. Oh, we had Game Boys. We used those a lot. We played a lot of Pokemon. I had Pac-Man. And then I had a, I'm trying to remember what I would have on my really old, like the Game Boy Advance, maybe? Game Boy Color? It was the one that was like kind of like a horizontal kind of like rectangle. Um, It kind of like almost looks like the Switch light now if that was like shrunk down. I don't remember which model it was called, but I know I played a like collection of a cartridge was a collection of Pac-Man games on that. And then I don't know if you ever saw this show, but I think it was like the Wild Thornberries or something like that on Nickelodeon. I don't remember exactly what it's called, but basically this family, I think they like are for some reason in like the African savanna or something. Somebody needs to fact check this because I really don't remember the show, but they had a game. So I did that. Wait, was that the one where the dad had the red hair? I think so. Okay, I think I remember seeing that show sometimes, but I don't think I really watched it. I don't I didn't know that much about it. I think I also had a That's a Raven game, but we can go into games more later <laughs> at a different episode. So, one of the things that I feel like I worry about a lot for this generation and like current society, so not even like just Gen Z, but generally current society because I think anyone can get sucked into this. I don't think it's a only Gen Z problem because anybody can get invested into this is social media and screen addiction because I feel like the rise of social media has made people so much more addicted to screens like I feel like it's so much harder because you'll be scrolling for what you think is 15 minutes and it's actually like an hour yeah I totally agree with that I think in general I would say since high school my social media usage has gone down significantly because I think I was like way more into using Facebook then and stuff like that. Now it's primarily just Instagram and it's mainly just checking other posts. Like I don't really post that much. I post maybe like twice a year and it's usually a picture of Sam. So, you know, I'm not like because before I remember it'd be like, oh, like I'm doing this. I should like take a picture of this and then share it. But then it's like now I feel like it's honestly kind of cringy because it really does seem kind of just braggy. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it now, too, is I'm like, I feel like I don't post that much on social media anymore. 
especially not like photos of myself, just because I'm kind of like, it does kind of feel a little bit braggy at times. And I'm like, I'm not trying to be like braggy with what I'm doing. And I don't really care how many likes I get. I don't really care. Like it's great for like the Instagram that we have for this podcast that I actually do care about how many likes we get because I'm like, oh, I want higher engagement. But like, (laughs) aside from that, like, you know what I mean? It's just kind of like, I don't really care how many I get on my personal one. For my art Instagram, I think that's the only thing that I kind of keep up with just because it's kind of nice to just like show what you're doing. But it's not like, I'm not trying to brag on that one. It's just kind of like, this is what I made. I think that's different. I feel like it's braggy. Like, let's say when someone goes to Florida and like is posting all these pictures of them like on the beach or like drinking cocktails and stuff where it's kind of like, who are you doing this for? Like, that's how I feel like it because it's like, I feel like any of your actual friends, like you can tell them about your trip when you get back and be like, oh, like, you know, if you want to see like I have a couple photos of stuff. And then because I feel like social media is more of a performance for those people who aren't like in your daily life. I could see that. And I think also, you know, it's the vacation thing is on there a lot. And I think a lot of things, too, are like, I just bought a car. I bought a house, you know, because now that we're getting older, people are buying houses or like the whole I just got, you know, this degree or whatever. And I feel like it's kind of like the people who are important to you will know that anyway. So it's like, why are you posting this? Yeah, I do feel like there's definitely a sort of like braggy aspect. And I think that that's like really a shame. Honestly, sometimes it is kind of nice to see what other people are doing. But sometimes I'll look at it and I'll be like, wow, they're doing X, Y, and Z. What am I doing with my life? And I feel like it definitely can make you spiral so easily. Same here. I mean, I think we could do a whole episode just focused on like social media and stuff. But I totally get that thing where you're like, oh, well, this is the third trip that they went on this year. And I'm like, I can't even like do, let's say like one this year. Like, why do they get to do so many? They're the same age as me. Like, what am I doing wrong? Yeah. And I think circling it back to screen addiction, I think it's kind of gotten worse in terms of like people being on their screens more and more and more. And I think it also kind of is because of what social media has become. Like, I feel like initially Facebook, Instagram, like it was just for sharing pictures. Now it's like social media has branched out to a whole bunch of different things. For example, on like YouTube or TikTok, you can find actually like informational things. Sometimes going and seeing that will make you spend a little bit more time on the phone or like on the computer. Because like, especially if you're somebody who's like a curious person, you're like, oh, I want to know more about it. But then I have to research it. And then I have to watch this video. And then I have to do this. And like, it kind of sends you into a spiral where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm spending so much time on the screen. That's not what I intended, but this is what I'm doing. It's interesting though, because I feel like that usage of social media is almost more like I wouldn't say really positive but like maybe like less negative because I feel like sometimes when you're comparing yourself to like the people you follow and you see all the stuff they do you like it kind of starts like hurting your own mental health but when I'm like going through a rabbit hole of like recipe posts on Instagram or like hand lettering quotes and stuff and I'm just like ooh, that's so pretty or something I feel like it's almost like it just I don't know it at least for me like it affects me differently but it does have the same effect of like oh I'm just gonna look at one more recipe because like that picture looks really good 
Yeah. And you're like, oh, I wonder if there's a better one out there. Because I feel like it's always that like searching for the next thing, you know? And so that's what kind of makes it difficult. Personally, I really spiral when I go like on TikTok because it'll be like a whole bunch of art things. Like my TikTok is like a whole bunch of art things, news, social justice, and like a couple of funny things here and there. But a lot of it's like art, news, social justice. And so I'll be like, oh, maybe there's something else that I should know about. And I'll be like scrolling on there. And I'm like, Kaylee, just go and look up the news. Like, why are you doing this? You know what I mean? Like, come on now. That's another thing too, is I think that a lot of things that people used to do that didn't involve screens now involve screens a lot, like reading the news. Because I know that, you know, when I was little, my mom would get like a physical newspaper, but now we just have digital subscriptions because it's A, cheaper and B, you don't have to worry about disposing or recycling or doing whatever with your newspaper each week. But then that also means that that activity has now become screen time. Yeah. And that's, I think, a big part of why the screen time has increased so much. I don't know. I look at it too and I'm like, it kind of does make you wonder like how much of our life is going to be digitized in the future. I also, okay, one of the things that really worried me, and this is like one of the last things I think we're going to talk about We might talk about like a couple more things, but like this will be one of the last ones. This past year, I was really worried about the effects of e-learning for students because like the amount of students who I'm sure were just like camera off scrolling through their phone in the middle of class. I was like, I feel like it's going to be such a hard transition back to the classroom in the fall, like when people are going back in person, because it'll be like they have essentially like developed this screen addiction while they were in class. That's going to be a really interesting thing to see what happens, but also really hard for the people doing the teaching because I feel like the kids are just going to be used to having more kind of unfiltered access to their phones. It's like if these kids are used to using their phones pretty much all day, every day, and then all of a sudden they're back in a physical classroom where, you know, you can't just have your phone out. I wonder if they're going to have... I don't know, be extra moody or like have trouble concentrating or something like that. I think my biggest worry is like the trouble concentrating. I think that's going to be like one of those things that I'm really worried about. And then also like the unintentionally reaching for their phone. Like I just worry that some kids going to like force of habit reach for their phone. And then, you know, I'm just worried that it'll cause like some big blow up in the classroom. And I'm like, I really don't want that. And that I think just generally with phones in the classroom, like a lot of the times what I'll do is I'll just ask my kids like, hey, please put it away. Please put it away. Because what I've found in teaching is if you go and take it away, sometimes that can be even more detrimental than just telling them to put it away. I feel like there are sometimes where you do just have to take it because it's like I've asked you five times. You know what I mean? And you can't focus and I'm just trying to help you focus. But I think it is really hard because it's like, you know, that when you take that phone away, in my experience, a lot of the times it'll cause kids to like get really angry or really defensive and it'll waste like five to 10 minutes of class, like just trying to calm them down and like talk them down and be like, hey, like it's okay. Like you get it back at the end of the class. I don't know. That's just like one of my biggest worries, like from this past year in screen addiction, because I know that so many people have been on their phones more. And I'm worried to see how that'll affect school or their work life. I do agree what you're saying, too, is like if you've asked a few times and they're still not doing it, I think you really do. At that point, you're like, I gave you a chance and you didn't take it. So like 
that's what happens. But I don't know. Like I, I was never a use my phone in class type of person. Probably because I was too much of a try hard and like goody two shoes. <laughs> but what were you like? Oh, I never touched my phone in class. Like it was off and in my bag. Like I never touched it. Never even thought about it when I was in class. But I look at kids that I have taught during my time as a teacher, and I think it's like a really big issue in classrooms. And I think even this past year, even just, you know, when we were doing hybrid learning, I still saw it as being a really, really big issue. Like there were times when I would have to tell kids over two or three times a class, like set away your phone, gotta put away your phone. And it was really hard to like enforce things too, because you know that the kids at home can have access to their phone. I don't know. It it was just, it was hard. I have a question because I know when I was, I mean, in college, not so much, I think, you know, they could, you just kind of did whatever. But I know like in high school, we weren't allowed to have our phones. So A, I guess like what did your school do? And then also what have the schools you've taught at? Like has, because I feel like the policy has kind of changed. Like I feel like schools kind of let kids have their phones on them. Yeah. So At my previous school, the policy was out of sight, out of mind. So you're not supposed to have it on your desk. It's not supposed to be out. You just set it away. Don't touch it. Um, That being said, when you're in a teacher's room, it kind of does fall to their jurisdiction more or less. So it's like sometimes you might have like a math teacher who's like, yeah, you can listen to music while you're doing math problems, stuff like that. Yeah. My current school, I don't believe that they have a cell phone policy. In terms of that, I know you can report it up to the office if like it becomes like a really debilitating or like everyday issue. You can like report it to the deans and then they'll have a chat with them about like, you know, this is the appropriate time to use your phone. This is not. But again, a lot of it falls into the teacher's court. I think one thing that's interesting to talk about, because I think both of us are kind of the same word, like if we're hanging out with people. Unless, say, like, the activity was to, like, watch a movie together or something. Like, we don't typically use our phones. So have you been hanging out with people and, like, they're on their phones or something too much? And, it's like, what do you do at that point? Um, Among my friends, I don't really notice that that much. Like, I think we're all kind of on the same page where it's, like, when you're with somebody, out of respect to them, you would not be on your phone unless it's, like, to send a quick text just because it's, like, you're showing that you value that person's company then rather than saying like, I feel like being on your phone sends an unintentional message or like an unspoken message that's like, well, whatever is on my phone is more important than you. I don't care about your time. You came here to spend time with me, but I'm doing something else. I think so too. I think most of my friends are kind of the same where maybe occasionally someone will take it out and be like, hey, like, look at this picture of whatever. But I don't think people are really like, you know, like if you're all hanging out, like no one's really sitting there the whole time, like texting someone else who's not there or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I liken it to, for example, if you and your friends got together to hang out and one person brought a book and read the book the whole time and didn't talk to you, how would that make you feel? (laughs) You know what I mean? It's the same thing. It's just with a phone. And so it's like, think about that. Like if you're somebody who does that, I... I would encourage you to think about that. Would that bug you if somebody brought over something else to do, didn't talk to you the whole time and just did that? Because that's pretty much what some people do with their phones. 
I think that's actually a really good way of framing it because I think sometimes people think, oh, like it's just my phone, like I can check it or like whatever. But when you replace phone with other activity, it starts to look a lot more ridiculous. You know, if someone's or the book or if someone's like, oh, like, I don't know. Unless let's say you were getting together to like, let's say, oh, let's have an art session and draw together. But let's say you were getting together to like hang out together and the other person shows up with like their easel. Like you'd kind of be like, what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So and I think that's a good way to frame uh to frame screen addiction is, you know, if you're not certain if it's screen addiction, frame it as would you spend however many hours doing this other activity? If the answer is no, then you might want to check yourself. <laughs> Although I probably, if I could, I probably would spend like five hours reading. Same, same here. But if you are somebody who has phone addiction, here are some ways that you might be able to help break that habit. So you can start off by like slowly limiting your exposure or setting limits. So for example, like maybe not having phones during meals or limiting your screen hour. Like let's say you start off using it five hours a day, limit it down to four. Then after that, limit it down to three, then limit it down to two and just try to slowly decrease it down. You could also, like we talked about in here, pick up a new hobby that doesn't necessarily depend on screens. So, you know, maybe you wanted to become an expert knitter you could go ahead and pick up those knitting needles and go for it. I almost finished a sweater just in time for July. I knitted all the pieces and I just have to like sew it together. But now it's July and it's really hot and humid, but I'm excited. That'll be awesome for the fall though. I know. Another thing you can do is I think on like, if you're on your phone specifically, I know that Apple does this. I'm pretty sure you can set limits on like your apps or your social media. So you could have it so it locks after a certain amount of time spent. And that could be a good way to do it if you are just having trouble with, you know, maybe one particular app to kind of check yourself and say, hey, you know, I've spent this much time on it today and I'm not spending any more on it. And then another suggestion that I found is to go completely screen free for one day a week, which I think is really nice. I think that it can be, like we said, a little bit harder, especially because so many of our jobs entail screens right now. But I think maybe on the weekends, you could try going screen-free Saturday or Sunday. I think that's an interesting one where I don't know if I could actually do that one, mainly just because it's like, like you said, like Monday to Friday, I have no choice. I have the screens. And I think I do most of my editing on the weekends, but I think it would be a good challenge. See, that's my thing too, is I'm like, I feel like if I'm drawing art for the podcast, I do that on the weekends. Or like if we're talking and recording, we do that on the weekend. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I could do it. Or like, what if you just want to like listen to a podcast or something? You have to touch a screen and open up the screen to get to the podcast. See, I feel like that would be allowed. I don't know. I'm, I feel like I'm very much a rule follower. I feel like I couldn't even touch it. Couldn't touch it. How do you set your alarms for Monday? Nobody knows. I would say no screens would be like, you can't sit there and look at a screen, but like if you needed to set your alarm or like turn on a podcast, you could. Or just make your boyfriend come over, have him put the podcast off, and then you'd be like, okay, you can leave now. Yeah, that's what I'll do. That's a perfect idea, Leanne. That's my tip. Get yourself a boyfriend or a friend so that when you're on your screen-free day, they can come over and turn on your podcast for you. Yeah, and then afterwards you say, okay, that's all I needed you for. Goodbye. 
oh, do you want to hang out? No, I just needed my podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I think a tip that I was thinking of is like, which I might do soon because I feel like they've been starting to annoy me a little, but is to turn off notifications, especially for those social media. Like, I'm not going to turn off my text notifications, but for like, let's say like Instagram, because I don't know why, which I thought I went into their settings to turn it off and so it wouldn't do this, but I get these random ones that are like, if you follow so-and-so, you may also like to follow so-and-so. And I'm like, I don't care. This is such a waste of my time. But then what it does is like, I get the notification, then I turn my phone on and then I'm like, oh, like, let's see what's going on on Instagram. Oh my gosh, I hate that. It does that to me too. I think that that's like a new thing on Instagram where they send you those notifications. And I'm like, I don't want notifications for that. Like, tell me if somebody likes something or follows something. That's all I care about. So for example, for the podcast, like I, I'm like, I really want to know if someone liked it. Like I really want to know if someone commented. So I went through the settings and thought I set it up so it would only give me notifications for likes and comments. But then the other day is like, oh, like so-and-so follows you. So here's a list of people that you might be interested in following. And I'm like, no, just likes and comments and like DMs. I feel like they maybe made it so you intentionally can't turn it off because then they're like, oh, then they'll spend more time on our app. I could see that happening. I agree with you. But you know, I feel like at least for me, it's having the opposite effects where I'm just about to go into my Apple settings and turn off all Instagram notifications. Because I know like you can do both where it's like you can go into the app like the Apple settings and turn off all notifications for an app. Or you could try to go in the app and try and filter them, which I tried doing, but it's not working. So I'm like, I'm just going to shut all of these off and I'll just remind myself to check our Zillennials Instagram. Yeah. Mark Zuckerberg, that's who owns Instagram now, right? I think, well, Facebook bought Instagram, so I assume so. Mark Zuckerberg, if you're listening to this podcast, you should make it an option to opt out of that because it's really annoying and we really don't like it. <laughs> Calling you out. We are obviously the two most important people in the world who use Instagram, so you should listen to us. Clearly. But yeah, I think that would help me a lot too because it's like, you know, just that thing where it's like, I think kind of like you were saying with like your students, it's like with their phones on the tables, just like out of sight, out of mind. Like if I don't get a notification, like I'm probably not going to check it. But if I get a notification from the app that's not even like something relevant to me, I'm like, let's open the app. Yeah, I think the only thing I get notifications for are texts, phone calls, Snapchat, and screen time. And that's it. I think that's the way to go because not even just with Instagram, like I think even with the the other notifications, it's going to make you take out your phone and you're going to start using it for something that wasn't the point. Yeah, I agree. Simplify your notifications. Actually, I think I also get it for podcasts, which I don't know why, because I the podcasts that I actually follow, I know when they post. Like, why do I need to have it on for podcasts? I have it on for podcasts, too. And I'm just like, I just think about it where I'm like, oh, why do I do this? Because they post like every week anyway, and I know the day and it's fine. But then I just haven't turned them off yet. I really should turn those off. For people who are listening to our podcast, if you have your podcast notifications off, just know that we post every single Monday by 6 a.m. Eastern time. Yeah. And we're very consistent. We are. So you don't need to have your notifications on as long as you know that we post Monday at 6 a.m. So to wrap things up, we're going to just move on and talk a little bit about our book club. So for anybody who's new, we do a book club. It releases the first Monday of every single month. So if you are somebody who's trying to break your screen addiction and start reading, um, 
Our next one is going to be dropping on August 2nd, and we're going to be reading These Violent Delights by Chloe Gong. I'm excited to talk about this one. I have many thoughts. I think we will disagree. Probably based on your face. We hope you enjoyed our discussion on screen addiction, talking a little bit about our past, our thoughts on, you know, the current situations. And we'd love to hear what you have to say, whether you think you're addicted to screens or maybe you have a tip that we didn't think of. Be good to share that with us by sending us a email or DM on Instagram, or even you could sign up to join our Discord and we can have a little little chat in there. And don't forget to rate Zillennials Podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can find us at Zillennials Podcast on Instagram or email us at zillennialspodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to hit the subscribe button and stay a while. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.